Welcome, welcome. This is my recovery part of the Much Love family. My name is David, and I'm an addict. Today's episode is going to be a special one for me. When I began, he was actually one of the first people I was introduced to. He might not remember, but he left an impression of inclusion, love, and understanding. He continues in leading this way of life through his dedication, even though he has amassed a significant amount of clean time. He brings a smile on my face when I hear him speak, and you can tell his message is from the heart. Let's listen to his story, his experience, strength, and hope, my friend Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm, my name is Scott, and I'm an addict. <clears throat> Boy, that, you were way too gracious in that introduction. Having <laughs> said that, I need to tell, tell my kids that. <laughs> At any rate, um, once again, my name is Scott, and I'm an addict. Uh, where do we start? We'll start at the beginning, you know. Um, I came into recovery um, at a young age by most standards, um, um, in, by most standards in recovery today. I was about 20 years old when I first walked through the doors. But, um, but prior to, to that, you know, it, it feels as if I had lived a lifetime. Um, one of the, I always like to, to start with the, with the hope and, and the promises of recovery. I, having been in recovery, you know, um, I like to um, know for sure that, that um, I relay the message that this is a process that works whenever and however we apply it as it's written in our text and, and as we discuss in our meetings. Sometimes, you know, I can, you know, go off on my own thing and start doing my, my own story and my own, um, my own process. But um, if that works, we're lucky. But the process of Narcotics Anonymous always works when we do it the way it's written um, in our literature. Having having said that, you know, a few of the things that I I can say that I've gotten from recovery is that I've um, I've gotten this undeniable um, constant hope um, that regardless of, of what happens in my life and and what transpires, that I will always be okay. You know, and there's absolutely nothing um, start me back to using or make me want to pick up. You know, and that's clearly because of I try to apply this process and this program in all areas of my life. One of the things that I I can feel that I've I've one of the most important things of coming to Narcotics Anonymous is that I can say that for me the cycle has been broken. You know, I come from a, a long line of drug addicted, um, alcoholic. Um, family members and 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 um members of my family and i can honestly say today that um my kids and i truly believe it's a result of of my um coming into narcotics anonymous and applying the principles and the program of narcotics anonymous to my life that my kids are not active drug addicts and they don't suffer from obsessive and compulsive um, behaviors as i did and you know, for that reason, I'm truly grateful. For me, um, a little bit about me. I, you know, I come from a family where you know we either died of of um, drug abuse and alcoholism, or um, there was some mental illness. A lot of mental illness in my family where we were mentally ill and institutionalized. Um, I had a sister that tried to commit suicide. Um, my father died as a result of uh, running into a train um, drunk, you know. Um, both my grandfathers were alcoholics. And so that's, you know, that's the where I came from. Um, and as a result, you know, I grew up not really... Having said all that, I grew up not really seeing a problem with, you know, the the constant um, drug use and alcohol use that was so prevalent around me. I just thought that was the way it is. Um, because of that, you know, I started using at a very young age, and I was, um, I, I honestly believe I was addicted immediately. Um, you know, I believe it was I was about twelve years old, thirteen years old when I first started smoking weed, and the minute I I did it, you know, I I, I felt that I was um, that I was okay. You know, I felt that I was more part of my friends. I felt I was more part of my community, my you know, drug using community. Um, 
than I had ever been. And so naturally, I just wanted more. Little did I know that that was my addiction <laughs> kicking in right then. Um, so um, I, I continued to, and I'm going to back up a minute, you know, um, I, I came from a, a place like I said, my father died when I was eight years old. So, um, so that left me and, and uh, my brother and my mother. Soon thereafter, my brother went away to the service, and then that left me and, and, and my mother. You know, And I had other siblings, but they were from a previous marriage and previous family, so they didn't live with us. Um, so it left me and my alcoholic mother. And so I spent a majority of my, my a lot of my childhood, um, honestly, being responsible for an alcoholic mother, you know, making sure, you know, um, at, at some point, making sure our electric electricity was paid. She, she um, you know, she gave me the money to do it, but sometimes she just didn't have the ability to go actually go pay the, the electric bill. And um, sometimes I would have to go to the grocery store. I remember nine, being nine years old, catching the bus um, to go downtown to a grocery store um, to buy groceries so that we could eat. Um, I remember, you know, right around that same time, actually going and paying the electric bill. You know, because it it was due, and she just wasn't able to pay it. So I so I grew up. Um, you know, I started out having a lot of responsibility, and I somehow another. I at one point I confused that responsibility for being um, for being okay. You know, that was my gauge for for um, being productive. As long as I was responsible and um, I was productive, and I was being okay. So I carried those same behaviors um, into my addiction. So I started smoking pot, and and um, it it progressed rapidly, you know, to the alcohol, to to pills, to cocaine, to you know, you name it. Um, we just did whatever, you know. And and my friends that I had at the time, you know, they were all aboard, and those were the people that I gravitated to was the ones that were, you know, that used like I did. So, um, and, you know, I had one friend, uh, his father was was a drug dealer, so we had a, had a, um, a supply of drugs, and I mean, it was all, it was a lot that we, that we had, um, had access to, you know, just all different types. And so I spent much of my you know, teenage years and, and young ad adulthood, just basically what we call being a garbage can. You know, I use whatever, um, whenever I could. And um, I need to say this, one of the the primary drugs that I used that, that I just love was alcohol. You know, I, I was a drinker and, I, you know, I guess maybe because my whole family was a drinker, but, but that was my thing. I would, uh, it was to a point I almost referred to drink more than anything else. But that that soon progressed, so I um, <clears throat> so um, I was so, so much so I, I continued to use, and there were just all types of um, red flags along the way, um, you know, all types of incidences. And I think one of the things that that really happened is that you know I was working as a waiter, um, in a in a restaurant, and one of the other waiters that I was working with, he actually um, sold and had access to a lot of um, a lot of cocaine. And as a result of that, I started shooting cocaine, and I started snort. Oh, I started snorting first, and I started shooting cocaine, and 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 then I got introduced to um, freebasing. You know, and and um, that's where we used to cook it up and and smoke it, right? So I I started freebasing, and that was the beginning to the end. You know, um, and, and it's funny thing I was just, I was just sharing with someone. Um, I remember the first time I remember the first time I started started freebasing. Um, I did it. I didn't think about it like ah, oh, this ain't for me. But for some reason, you know about. Two weeks later, the minute I got m money or got paid or whatever, that was the first thing I wanted to do. So I went and got more. And, you know, that two-week span, um, the next time it was a one-week span. Then after that, it was a three-day span. And before I knew it, you know, I was doing it every day or, or at least every day that I could. And I continued that. And as a result of... of um, of 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 that use and and my life sparring and you know and that 
obsessive and compulsive need to to use and get more. I began to do things to use and get more that um, I never thought I would do. Um, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I did everything from um, from stealing. I mean, I, I hooked up with these folks, and we used to actually go in stores and steal and all that shit. And and um, and I actually had some. I used to. I found. Oh, I mean, another thing about it. Um, one of the things that were, that I struggled with early on in in my life, you know, and in my upbringing was the fact that I I, I was gay, you know, and with my drug addiction, I found that I could use that to my my advantage. I found that, you know what, um, wasn't half bad looking um, on the eyes, and I found that I could pretty much use my body and, and my looks to get whatever I wanted from whoever I wanted, you know, most of the time. And so I began this, this process of um, uh, of being um, hanging around older guys who smoked and, and did what I do and did what I did and had what I wanted just to get what I wanted. And then um, another thing, we started going to, um, we started going to, you know, different places and, you know, really having a persona of being prostitutes. And all we were doing were pickpocketing people, you know. Um, and it's funny, um, it, in our attic mind, you know, this group I was with, we would call it going to work. You know, and we really weren't going to work. We were going to break the law. We were going to take advantage of people, and and the the nature of addiction is that I would do these things, and I and I didn't see a problem with it. I didn't see, um, I, I didn't. I'm not gonna say I didn't see, but I denied the um the wrongness of it. I denied the harm that I was doing. You know, I thought it was just a natural natural part of of life, a natural part of doing what we did. So, um, so that, so that continued and, and mind you at this point, I'm all of a hot 18, 19 years old, you know, so I'm stealing, I'm, I'm tricking, I'm using, I'm, I'm doing, I, you know, shooting up cocaine, I'm smoking cocaine, I'm just doing whatever. And so the, the, um, the, so very soon for me, the, um, the wheels fell off the wagon. You know, and, um, and and I didn't even realize the wheels fell off the wagon, but I just knew I was I was in a I was in a place to where you know I was consumed with with using and getting more drugs, you know, and and um, mind you, I didn't have the type of of family um, dynamics that that recognized that the wheels had fell off the wagon. You know, they just thought I was normal. You know, they just thought I had um had did just a little bit too much. And um and it was all too much. But um as as fate would have it, um one of those same girls that I was I was you know somewhat dating and and going to work quote unquote with um her mom, she was around the same age as me. Her mom sent her to treatment. You know, and so um, when she got out of treatment, I was so glad because then I went over to her house and, you know, you know, and said, hey, come on. I tried to get her out and uh, come on, let's go back to work. Let's go do what we were doing. And, um, and one of the things she would always say to me, she would say, you really need to get off that shit. <laughs> you know, you really need to stop. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. But I, I remember that very clearly. And I, and I remember one time I went over there. And, um, and, um, and she was telling me that she didn't do it anymore. She, um, she started, she got out of treatment and she started going to these meetings and, and, um, you know, sometimes we have a saying where we say God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. right around that same time. And, and mind you, th this is what happened on that day. You know, this was this one of these days where I came face to face and to, with my disease and was willing to do something. I had, um, I had went to this treatment center for it, for, uh, um, you know, I knew I was having a problem and I wanted to stop. I went to a treatment center and they immediately wanted to um, admit me and, and put me in this treatment. And I was like, oh no, you know, I got stuff to do. You know, I, I have to go to work. I didn't have a job. You know, I remember I told him, I says, oh, I got to get, I got to go to school. You know, I 
was not in school, but I made all these excuses not to go to treatment. And I remember the woman, you know, I remember her face very clearly. She pulled out a Narcotics Anonymous meeting schedule. She says, well, if you're not going to go to treatment, I want you to go to one of these meetings tonight, you know, and she pulled out this, this schedule and we picked out a meeting for me to go to it. And what I do know, it was on a Wednesday night, you know, and because um, the meeting was, was a Wednesday night meeting. We um, went went through the schedule and um, we picked this meeting. And so I went home and um, so I'm sitting at home and I'm just contemplating, you know, and getting scared and getting fearful of going to this meeting. And all of a sudden, this um, the, the girl um, who was trying to get me to take her to a meeting and getting, um, who I used to use with, who had been in treatment, she calls me up and she says, hey, love it, um, I want you to take me somewhere tonight. And I'm like, um, sure. She goes, oh, it's right down the street. Oh, and I and I lied. It says, oh yeah, I'm I'm going that way. I got a class tonight. I don't know why I always imagined I was in classes, <laughs> but um, I did, I wasn't in a class. But I told her I had a class. And where she said I wanted you to take me, she says I want you to go to a narcotic. I want you to take me to a narcotics anonymous meeting. And mind you, this was the exact same day I had did that. Um, interview or that intake with a treatment center and refused to and refused to go to treatment. And so of course I told her yes. So um that night, that Wednesday night, probably in nineteen eighty four or nineteen eighty five, I walked into my first narcotics anonymous meeting. And um it was a speaker meeting. And I immediately was drawn to this meeting and the people there because um and and what I noticed the people in the meeting, they just looked like the people that I used with, got high with, and stole with, and trick with. It just looked like my tribe. It looked like my group of people. So, um, so I started going to these meetings, and um, and my life has never <laughs> has never been the same. Um, real quick, I was not successful, or let me say, I'm honestly not successful. I was not. Um, Initially, I did not stop using. I spent after I spent about three years going in and out the program. You know, never staying clean any more than than thirty days or or sixty days. Maybe I had sixty days in my first three years, but I would constantly go in and out, in and out. And then finally, that last time, I went out for. Um, probably about a good six months. And I did everything that I needed to do or, or, you know, and I finally came in with my tail between, between my lip, my legs. And, um, and I became willing, you know, I got a sponsor. And one of the things that the, the sponsor, um, said to me, I'll never forget. Well, first of all, I was in this home group and this is the importance of home groups. I was in this home group and um, and they they were just sick of me. They I'm, I'm sure they were just sick of me. They never told me not to come, they, but um, I was constantly going in and out. They actually assigned me a sponsor in a home group meeting. They had a home group meeting and the topic of the home group meeting was how how were they going to help me, you know, and I just I was kind of over that. I thought it was kind of funny. But um they they assigned me a sponsor. They said, "Hey, you you need to work with this guy." And so I started working with this guy, and and um and I'm very fortunate because I always like to um you know I I remember him forever because I really believed he saved my life. Um, when I started working with him, one of the things that that he said was, uh, well, "Well, what have you done?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I've done the steps. I've read the literature. I go to meetings, and you know, but and and I did." But it was all, you know, half measures. It wasn't completely. I hadn't completely abandoned myself to this program. I had a lot of um, um, reservations. Um, I was, I was young, and I didn't want to leave my my friends. I didn't want to leave the the lifestyle. I didn't want to leave the the um, the clubs. And so I continued doing all that stuff, and I continued to get high. But once I got serious about the program and I stopped doing the clubs, I, I, I changed, you know, as we say, playmates, playgrounds, and play things, um, I began to get some glimpse of recovery. So the sponsor asked me, what, what have you done? And, and I gave this whole list of um, things that I had done at half measures. And he says, well, we're going to do something different. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? You know, and I always had this, this attitude and this uh, arrogance about me. Um, and he says, well, we're going to do the steps. 
And I'm like, well, okay. So um, we began doing the steps that I'll never forget. We sat over to, um, soon enough that I started working with him, he was, he was retired, he didn't have a job. I went over to his house and we sat and we did steps one, two, and three in one sitting. And I'm like, this dude is crazy. You know, this isn't going to help me. You know, it's, it's not going to um, get me to stay clean. And um, when I left there, I was on step four. This is like the first day I met with him. Uh, for, you know, I had known him, but, you know, after, you know, when we really sat down and go to step work, I was quite surprised that he kind of sit he kind of um, went through steps one and three. It was most mostly verbal, you know, and we come, you know, and with the literature. And um, so we, we did steps one, two, and three. And when I left there, I was on step four, you know, and I was just totally, you know, <sighs> amazed by that. You know, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. And so I, 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 I left there and every day I would talk to him because I was calling him every day. He'd ask me, how's it doing? You know, and that would be the topic of our conversation. He would talk to me about nothing but the fourth step. You know, if I called him, he didn't want to hear nothing else about how my day was. He wanted to know how I was doing my fourth step. So as a result, I actually finished this fourth step in, in about two weeks, maybe, probably even less than that, you know, um, under his direction. I mean, he was really hands-on with this. And, um, and I remember when I did that, that four step after I had written it down, I put it in a drawer and just like so many of us says, I like, I'm never going to share this with, I'm never going to share this with anybody, you know? And I says, I hope he never asked me about it. And of course he asked me about it. And then he threatened me. He remember, he said, he says, if you know, if you don't, um, you can do the fourth step, but if you don't follow it up with the fifth step, you're going to get high again. And that literally scared me, and um, and I went and did the um, did the fifth step with him. And as a result, you know um, what I can say. At that point, what I had realized is that I had been clean longer than any point I had ever had before. And when what that says is that this program was working for me. It was working. And the reason it was working because I was doing it the way it was written. You know, I was working the steps. I was going to meetings regularly. I, you know, I wasn't going into, into um, dangerous places that would jeopardize, um, put me in jeopardy of using. Um, and the bottom line, I had began to recover. And, and life got good, you know. As a result, you know, I, I finally, finally, um, got into got into um, school you know I never forget our story um, you know I kept telling Bob I'm like Bob you know I want to go back to college because I had had some college in the past and of course I wasn't successful because I had um, you know because of the drug addiction you know not many drug addicts are successful in college but um I went back to I kept telling Bob I'm like Bob I want to go back to college and he says well, what I want you to know, I want you to go to the university. I want you to go get an application. At this time, they were like paper applications you filled out and turned in. And um, so I went and got the application and called him up. Hey, Bob, Bob, I got the application. And I says, okay, now what? He goes, fill it out. <laughs> and and so I um, actually filled out the application. And um, and as a result, I ended up going back to school. I mean, I, I had a year... Um, actually less than a year clean. And I finally had made it back to school, you know, and it, it was a lot and I was overwhelmed, but you know what? I, I, um, uh, it just, all it did was make me invest in my recovery more because I knew if I did, if I stopped doing what I was doing, um, that I would go back and get high again. Um, somewhere along the line, you know, um, because of my behaviors and everything, I also had had, by this time, I had also had two kids. I had sons born in, in 83 and 85, you know, from my, my, um, my high school sweetheart, you know, and, you know, and that was a, a lot of drama. And through my addiction, I wasn't always the, the best parent that I, I should have been. Uh, no, I was an awful parent. You know, I tried my best, but of course, you know, um, drugs and addiction takes precedence, precedent over any anything else, even kids. You know, our literature says we put it ahead of our welfare of our families, husbands, wives, children, and so forth. And I, I truly did that. But the, um, the beauty of recovery is that once I became 
got clean and stayed clean, I became a way better parent. You know, I, you know, I began to take responsibility on my kids and I ended up, um, at the age when my kids at the age of like four and six, you know, um, they actually came to live with me because their, their mother, you know, kind of saw the changes that I had and just kind of knew I was responsible and she hit remarry and was moving out of state. And so, you know what, she was gracious enough to give, to, um, give me custody of my kids and allow me the opportunity to be a parent to my kids. And um, I'm grateful for that because they they saw my recovery process. They saw me live life and be an adult and not use and not get high and not have my life centered around um, using drugs. As, and, and not only that, didn't see a lot of the dysfunctional behavior in a, in the family unit that was associated with drugs and because of my involvement with with the fellowship and with the program what they saw they saw me around a whole lot of positive people like-minded people who were doing the same thing and i believe you know even those folks, um, you know just being around my kids influenced my kids and as i say um one of the greatest gifts I've received from Narcotics Anonymous is that I honestly believe that cycle has been broken. You know, that we're, I'm no, my kids are no longer in this family of this long line of um, drug addicts and alcoholics. Um, you know, um, and, you know, as I've stayed here, my life has just continued to improve and, and get better. You know, I really feel that the, um, the sky's the limit, you know, as to, to what I can do and, and who I can be. I've, I've since gone back, um, you know, as a result of going to college, I, I went to college and I, I got one degree in, um, in electrical engineering that I, that I, you know, just the nature of having a degree in electrical engineering. I like to remind people of that, you know, anytime a light bulb goes out, I like to tell my, my husband, I have a degree in electrical engineering. I can change that light bulb. Um, and I did that for, for many years. And then, um, as a result of that and wanting, you know, to be more of service, I actually went back and got a nursing degree, you know. Um, and I need to to stress one of the things my current sponsor always always likes to um to say is that we can't put um confuse the gifts with the goals, you know. You know, the the degrees are are gifts, the cars, the houses, you know, all that stuff is gifts. The goal is is staying clean. The goal is living a principled life. The goal is, you know, having the respect of of others and of of your kids and of of family members, you know. So um, you know, I really try on a daily basis. Um to maintain my program by, you know, starting it with prayer, you know, incorporating some type of meditation. Um, and one of the things that I'm, I'm working on um, at this point is, you know, regular meeting attendance or actually getting back my getting back my connection with the fellowship. You know, I, I began working as a travel nurse, so I'm kind of out of the city or out of my home area from time to time. I go to a lot of areas and I always feel like a newcomer and people don't talk to me and my selfishness and self-centered comes in. It's like, don't you know who I am? And, you know, not really that, but, you know, it's like, yeah, I know. Just you go, you go to a strange meeting and it's like you're a newcomer at, at most meetings. Um, so, um, you know, I, I just continue to do what I do and um and and recovery continues to be a part of my life. You know, I I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if I ever stop doing this, I am convinced that um I will always be an addict. You know, I I will be a recover I will always be a recovering addict, not just any addict, a recovering addict. Um the 12 steps and the principles of narcotics anonymous will always be a part of my life. Um and, and I hope to, you know, e eventually reach a point to where, you know, um, where, you know, it's just, it's just uh, second nature, you know, still today, you know what, I have to make a conscious effort to recover, you know, I mean, certain times, you know, I'm out, I'm out in the world and, um, and situations arise and circumstances happen where, you know what, it, it, it is second nature to to um, go to a place of principles, to go to a place of, of, of willingness and to go to a place of, of um, courage, you know? And that's, 
you know, those are the principles, you know, is I've really found that um, in this process of living life, you know, I can, I can write and I can read and I can do all this stuff till the cows come home. But unless I'm willing to live this way of life, unless I'm willing to put this way of life into action, you know, that's where the um, rubber hits the road. That's where the real evidence is of, of how I'm recovering and how good this program is. So um, the, I must say this and 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 be quiet, you know. Um, and in in this this talk, um, I have I have really, and I might end it pretty much the way I I started it. You know, this program will I my experience has shown this program will always work whenever we apply it whenever if it's not working or or if i'm in a situation that's that i find difficult you know um and i can't get out it's usually for me because i you know there's a principle of this program that i'm not applying you know this principle um the principles of this program gives me solutions to my problems and my first problem was my addiction and my and um once i solve that problem life happens and this program really really allows me to um to live a life um based in solutions so Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Scott. I, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, I, I, I knew some of it, but you know, it always it's one of the the, the blessings, the benefit that I that I get from from these stories is I get to learn more about the person. I get to learn more about you and see your perspective on things. And so there there's a second part of the episode. This is where you know I I've got some questions from. Uh, from family, friends, and both people, and inside, you know, inside and outside of recovery. So they're not in any great order. They're, they're kind of all over the place, but you know, they're, they're things that that I think might help uh, others, you know, just to hear. So, what does it mean to you to share your story? Ah, you know, I I think one of the we go through this whole process of recovery and we reached the 12th step and mm -hmm. it says we tried to carry the message to the addict who still suffers yes you know and it's really about an opportunity to carry the message to a, to someone else you know and and hope that there's one line one section that somebody can identify with mm -hmm. and help them to make that decision not to use again absolutely you know, and that that's that's it that that actually summarizes the reason for these podcasts. You know, there's the selfish reasons because I get to learn more about you, mm -hmm. but the meaning behind the 12th step of sharing your story in the hopes that it can positively affect someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that that's very key to this. Um, so we, we talk a lot about gratitude. Um, can you kind of discuss in your recovery how it's helped you stay clean? Whew, sure. Um, as far as the gratitude, I, it, initially my first thought was, um, I I believe I have so much gratitude because of from where I came. Okay. You know, I came from, you know, you heard, just heard of right. the place that I came from with the, the deaths and the dysfunctional family. And to reach a point to where that's no longer... Um, you know, keeping me bound or or no longer a norm for me uh, and no longer a norm for my kids. I, I am grateful, you know, and um, I don't know, a life of, of drug addiction is, a, is an awful life. You know, I, I work in the medical field now and I see folks coming in, you know, that are just crippled by drug addiction and, and sometimes, you know, very functional people, right? you know, so just to, to know that I have that freedom. You know, I functional have until they can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, just, that's the progression. It, it, yeah. Most of the ninety-nine percent of the time, it they they can be functioning, but there'll be a point where they no longer can be, mm -hmm. and we all get to that. That that's why we're addicts. You know, yeah. people that can socially do things, but but they're not they're not into the depth, into the weeds as we are. Right. And knowing and being able to look back and to say, mm -hmm. this is no longer me. I'm grateful that mm -hmm. I am no longer consumed by that dark place. Right. You know, that that's helped me, you know, that, yeah. that that's something that, that early, you know, me being early in the journey, I, I can already see that change. It gives me 
hope that after years and years, you still have that deep connection to understanding where you came from and being grateful that that you're no longer in that mm-hmm. spot. So that, that kind of leads me to a, a question that goes two ways. So it's aha moments. So there was an aha moment at some point, and you kind of touched on it, but in your active addiction where you realized, mm-hmm. I have to change. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that aha moment. And then there's the aha moment in recovery where this is working for me. So can you can you go over those two? Sure. I I I I have a clear um a, a, actually both of those are, are very clear to me. Um the first aha moment I had I had left one of my waiter jobs and it was um you know near downtown and I was driving home and I always ha- had old raggedy cars, you know, and my car had stopped on me. Oh. And so um, I went over to um, my friend's house, and I, when, I, when I went to his house, I drove to his house, and um, I was going to, I don't know what I was going to do, but I was greeted by a puff of smoke as he opened the door. And I just looked around and says, I can't stay here, you know. Oh. And, um, and, and I, I left there, and I was coming home, and my car broke down on me. I went to when I was near a place where I had I knew someone. I went to their house. Mm-hmm. And there was a and as soon as they opened the door, there was a puff of smoke that greeted me at the door. <laughs> exactly, Fuck. and I'm I like, I can't, I can't stay here. And I never forget. I actually left a car in the middle of the road and ran home. Went in my room. I called Narcotics Anonymous helpline and asked for help. Wow. And asked them like, yo, what can I do? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it through the night, you know? Because it's like, I, in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'll get all these signs that I need to get high. And that wasn't, you know, those were- What did they say? <laughs> I was finding this funny. She told me to go to bed. <laughs> she told me, she says, just go to sleep. Just don't go nowhere. Stay in your bedroom and go to sleep. She okay. says, you worked out because I was telling I was tired. She says, just get some rest. Just go to sleep. Drink. She told me, drink some water. Mm-hmm. Whatever. <laughs> go to sleep. And you know, that's what I did. And guess what? I didn't get high that night. And um and and when I look back on that, I, I look at that as the moment when I knew that I was willing to do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Um as far as the the moment that um I knew this program was working for me, I it could I honestly tell I tell this to this day. It was when I did the fourth step. And I realized that I had been cl- clean longer at any point in my recovery than I had ever been. Because by the time I had did the fourth step, um, I had been in the rooms for three years, but mm-hmm. I was never able to stay clean. But when I did that fourth step and I realized that, wow, I got 60 days. Wow, I got 120 days, you know, and, and the weights were being lifted off of me. You know, I'm like, something about this is working. You know, and what I like to tell people is that, you know, my first four step, you know, uh, and this is my story, my four step, it was a little bit dishonest, probably had a couple lies in it. It was probably incomplete, didn't cover everything, but it was sufficient at the time Mm -hmm. to address some of the pressing issues that I had that kept me from getting high. And as I stayed in this process, I got the opportunity again and again to go back and do more inventories and address those issues. It's an ongoing process. Yes. Yeah. So you you touched kind of on, it took you, you know, you were in and out for three years, you were part of inside the rooms for three years, but nothing stuck. How have you overcome, and at what point were you able to overcome the fear of relapse? You know, um, I I go back, you know, some, and it's kind of hard to summarize, you know, I, I, I got... Right now, I sit here with 35 years of recovery, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm 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 going back right. <laughs> 35 it's been years. A while. But one of the things that um, what one of the parts that I that I probably didn't include is that because I was working at night, I had to go to daytime meetings, and when I got clean, there wasn't any daytime narcotics anonymous meetings, so I was going to AA, and there's a so I got a lot of experience in in AA early on. And one of the things that um, the AA has this thing called the promises. And I think I reached a point to where once I began doing this program, 
it, it tells us that that obsession and compulsion will be lifted from us. And it was clearly a result of doing the program, of you know getting involved, doing the steps, practicing the principles, and the obsession and compulsion was lifted. You know, I no longer wanted to get high. At what point did that happen? Oh, I, I would think probably right after the I did that fourth step. Really? Yeah. Right after I did that fourth step at, um, yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you when it was, it was, I started school August 88. I got clean in January 88. So that's 35 years. Um, so somewhere, uh, you know, I got clean in January 88. And I would think sometime, you know, um, April, May, you know, because that's when I did that fourth step. And that's where it's just like all the weights was lifted off of me. And I felt that, you know, I, I had a chance, you know. Th this far into it, do you ever experience triggers? No, absolutely not. I had one time in my recovery where I wanted to to um, to get high or really was had serious thoughts of, of using. I had, you know, and they, and they say, it's called that seven year. I have a thing. I think most people hit some type of dip around the seventh year okay. of recovery, but it was seven years of recovery. I had, um, this is what, I remember the situation I had just, um, purchased my first home. Um, so I was overwhelmed with bills. My kids were living with me at this point. Let me see, a, um, 95. Yeah, so they were just being teenagers. So they were just being, you know. A headache. Yeah, <laughs> I was struggling with them. Um, I had gotten laid off of a job. Oh. Yeah. Um, I had just, yeah, I had gotten, actually I had gotten laid off um, and coupled that with uh, um, uh the bills, the responsibilities. The bills. And I think what weighed on me very heavily was a HIV diagnosis. Oh, you really? Know? Yes. And that was um, something. Um, and I, and you know what? That was actually a turning point in my recovery, I believe. Because I, okay. I knew that before I I, um, I got, got clean. But um, yeah. And there was a point to where I think with all of that, you know, my health began to deteriorate, you know, okay. just the stress. So, um, and I, and I wanted to use. Wanted to escape it. I wanted, I wanted to use the only time at seven years clean. It went around 1995. So, mm, yeah. So <laughs> seven years clean, you know, I, I wanted to use. And and what I did, um, real short, is I I never forget. I called one friend of mine. They're still involved in the program today. I called one friend of mine, and and she, oh my God, she was not nice. You know, <laughs> she just laid into me, and I needed to be grateful. And, and if you want to see people who are suffering, go to the the AIDS floor, the HIV floor at the hospital. I'll take you through a walk up there and I'll show you what suffering is. And, and I go, okay. So I hung up from her and I'm like, okay. Then I called my other friend and hoping to get a different answer. Oh, hoping to get a different answer. And it was just as bad. You know, she she said, Oh, I'll just just wait right there. I'm gonna come get high with you. You know, and oh. I and it, and this person, I knew she was a lunatic, you know, I love her to death, but she's a little off. And I'm like, I did not want to get high with her. And I'm like, oh hell no. And so um, and the next call was my sponsor. Okay. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I reached a point of being okay and not wanting to use, you know, over the next couple of days. Uh, for me, the scare was always, you know, the, the first experience of dealing with death. Um, mm. Something that mattered the most to me, uh, it was um, my cat, Marley. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have kids, mm -hmm. and he was my son for 16 years. Oh, wow. And I, I always feared that I would lose it when that, that time came that I would want to escape, I would want to run, I, I would use. That mm. was definitely a fear mm. of mine. Um, and, you know, unfortunately he passed, you know, a few weeks ago. Mm. And surprisingly that that want didn't come. And yeah. I, I wanted to I wanted to escape. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to just hide in the dark. Mm -hmm. But there was never uh, I need to use to get away from this. Mm. So that was very surprising to me. And, and right. um you know, it kind of kind of leads to to something else that I, I'm not sure I, I I heard you touch on is your higher power. Mm. What what is your relationship with a higher power? What if you didn't have it growing up? What are some approaches that you found 
on connecting with it and gaining that experience, which is kind of essential to the program mm -hmm, that we're in. Definitely. Um, first of all, I um, after I finished speaking, that's one of the things I said. I said, I didn't really talk much about my relationship with my higher power mm -hmm. and my process of, of prayer and meditation, because I, I consider that, you know, um, um, just central to my recovery. Okay. And it's something that, that I, I, I like to tell people. Um, I pray, I'm, I, I wake up every morning and 95% of most mornings I, I say a prayer, you know. Um, and, and that's like a only, gratitude prayer or like uh, a, a real religious a, a, kind of a, a prayer? No, not a, not a religious prayer at all. Uh, a prayer for direction. Okay. A prayer to, fr to, sh to frame my day because I believe that when you, um, for, for me, I believe that and I think what I like to call it is an intention, and they mm -hmm. and they do that in in some um, Middle Eastern religions, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but they call it an intention. You know, okay. I set an intention for for my day, and usually that intention is one to live by principles, and one to be kind, and one to to um, you know have courage, and one to help others, and okay. one to do God's will. So that's my intention, and what I find out is that when I frame my day with that intention. There's an awareness, and you know, awareness is a spiritual principle. Mm -hmm. You know, they say um, that there's an awareness of as I go through my day when those opportunities arise for me to practice courage, for me to practice trust, for okay. me to practice willingness, that um, I'm more attuned to them because okay. I brought them to the forefront of my awareness at the beginning of the day. At the beginning of the day, and like anything else with a good addict, you know, once I do it often enough, this this um, this practice of setting an an attention, and then um, practicing in their awareness, mm -hmm. you know, um, it just once again that's one of the things that becomes a way of life, you know. But as far as a religion, I grew up. Um, interestingly, I grew up in a very religious family. Okay, um, a com com very confusing religious family because you know I saw my family go to church constantly you know we, we we were a four four times a week church going family but really? yet yes but yet i saw them you know do these things to their bodies or you know mm -hmm. do the cussing and the drinking and the and the fighting and the you know the adultery and the a duality uh, yeah you know and i'm like what's going on here and are we going to couple that with the um with, with the with the fact that um we'll we'll couple that with the idea that um you know with my with me being gay you know i just mm -hmm. knew i knew from an early age that i was that i was gay you know that i had an attraction to you know to men or to to boys or to the right. same to the same sex um so everything that i learned in these religious institutions told me that i was i was basically was wrong. wrong you know my whole being there was something wrong with me mm -hmm. and not only was i wrong but i was gonna burn in hell that's you terrible. know that's very yeah rough. and that's that's what you know so so a couple things happened i think that um that, that gave me a sense of of not being okay with me mm -hmm. with who i am at a very young age it gave me a sense of you know everyone else was getting direction from this religion there's nothing wrong with religion religion right. has given you know millions of people direction for thousands of years right. you know but sometimes it can be misguided um so along with me um thinking there's something wrong with me i also thought i was going to burn in hell so that so naturally i rejected that you know and i did not want that so right. i spent many years and when i was about 14 um i made a decision that i was no longer going to practice the religion of of my family and okay. and you know i was allowed to stop going to church and to do it oh, really they yeah. allowed it mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, they couldn't. Yeah, it was me and my alcoholic mother. She, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was very. And um, I, I had very little direction as okay. a child. You know, I was uh, very little direction, very little instructions, able to do whatever I wanted to okay. do. You know, so um, so yeah, so I spent you know many of my you know teen years and form formative formative years just not even believing in a god or <laughs> expecting it was a god. So when I when I came in here, um came into the the fellowship that was a that was a journey for me to come to a place to where i believed in in some form of higher power mm -hmm. and 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 today you know um 
I, I like to call it a, a, a life spirit or a life force. Okay. You know, and, and for me, that higher power is that life's life force and life spirit is something that goes through everyone. You know, everyone mm -hmm. has this spirit flowing through them. And in, in that way- An energy. I, an energy, yeah. And in, and in that way, I think everyone's connected, you okay. know. And how we um, really, how that spirit expresses them itself or shows itself is through principles okay. you know through good principles of of hope of of love faith you know kindness you know that's those are the principles so so yeah and that's you know and and coming back you know those are the things that that i frame my day with you know like i said well you know god please you know help me to be of service god please help me to listen please and and, and for me and where i come from i i ask god god please help me to be kind mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, yeah. to show compassion, to show humility, and and sometimes a lot of principles basically have you have to encompass other principles in mm -hmm. order to do. You know, try doing com compassion without self honesty. Try doing, you know what right. I mean. Try, they go together. Try, yeah, <laughs> try try be try doing trust without willingness. Mm -hmm. You know, so <laughs> if you didn't have it at the beginning, and this was something that I I did struggle with. How, how did you get? through the first few steps without having a a higher power kind of a, a full understanding of it it, it was it was basic it was it was my my understanding is just you know what we have a saying in the rooms that I'll never I'll never forget you know uh, one of the things he told me that was one of the things that we talked about you know um, is is my not having a belief in the higher power when we were doing those first three steps. And um, he says, just believe because I believe. And, uh, and my sponsor said this, I, uh, I believe for you. Yeah. Yeah. He says, just, just, just go with it, you know, and you, and, and also was told that, you know what, you don't have to believe, you know, really? you can, you can do this program. You kind without, of fudge your, fudge your way through. Well, I mean, you can find other powers greater than yourself there are powers greater than yourself you right. know um and it, you know it doesn't necessarily have to be this this supreme all-knowing all-powerful being you know you know it could be the ocean yeah, yeah <laughs> you know i, I, so, I heard the yeah you know, okay. make it the doorknob but, well i don't know see the i don't know about the doorknob yeah, I, yeah. I could take a hammer and destroy a doorknob a doorknob yeah, it, isn't powerful it, for it didn't me. work for me that, yeah, that didn't so, and and it but, didn't feel right actually mm -hmm. Right. Even, even though my sponsor said exactly what you mm -hmm. said, you know, I I believe enough for you. It right. it felt like I was glossing over right. important steps. And, and I and I will say that because of my upbringing with religion, <laughs> you know, that I thought I had some type of fundamental concept of God. And I, I need to kind of go back. It's not that I didn't believe in a God. I didn't believe in the God, that, their I was, God. It, that I was raised with, the God of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So so from the beginning of re recovery, I was in the process of trying to label. I knew something had to be out there because I was here, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I, I, be, I began this process of trying to find my, my God. And I had some God-awful <laughs> concepts of God. I mean, really. And most of them was, I, at one point, honestly, one time I, I had a um, black drag queen that was six foot four. That was my concept of God. And I, okay. and I did that more of, of shock for my sponsor. You know what I mean? It's just where I was at the time. You can't really shock your sponsor for some reason. Right. You're always ready. Right. You know, yeah. But he says, who's your higher power? I, you know, my higher power is, 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 you know, six foot for black dry queen you know that's my higher power and and you know what it worked for a while because mm -hmm. you know what she was quite powerful <laughs> so yeah i, I <laughs> greater than me so. it was it was very hard for me to mm -hmm. to do this without one and it's hard to accept that there have been so many people that have already done this process uh -huh. and it's worked for them mm -hmm. so i should have <laughs> understood that just do what I'm told and it'll happen. Right. I That's hard. Yeah. That's I, hard. I, yeah. I didn't believe it. And then sure enough, you know, slowly over the past few years, uh, I I can see a development of a higher power. Right. I can, I can see that. Whereas at the beginning, you know, I, I just had a, a very deep disconnect mm -hmm. with that. Right. 
And sure enough, after a few years, it's slowly starting to develop. Right. And I, I should have understood that at the beginning, but you know, it, it's easier said than done. Yes, it is. So, um, you, you're in the medical field, and I'm sure you know, as you said, you come across addicts, you know, in varying degrees of, of varying stages of their addiction. W what are some mis misconceptions about addiction that you would share with someone? Oh, that that all addicts are these homeless, um, you know, penniless people, vagrants. You know, they come in all shape, forms, and fashion. Um, a lot, of, you know, a lot of times people don't choose to be addicts. No, you know, they, you know, born into it. You know, I, I think there's a whole in in um, envir environmental aspect to it, mm -hmm. but it's also a situational aspect to it. You know, things can happen to people. I, I've seen so many people um, come into the hospital and say, for instance, they have back surgery, and, okay, and then they start taking medication, pain pills, pain pills, and they become addicted. You know, and just the nature of the pain pills, it's not their fault. You know, and pain is something. Uh, that's really serious, and especially with the medications we have out today, you know, it can, it can sure, happen to I'm anyone. I'm sure you've seen that more, more recently. More, yes, yes. Um, you know, and that, and another thing is that you know, all addicts. Well, I guess this is going to the same thing. All all addicts, you know. Um, I, I guess we said it for like vagrants. That's the mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing, you know, vagrants and penniless and homeless and you know have have no values. And there's a lot of functional addicts out there, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of grand grandmothers and grandfathers and uncles mm -hmm. and aunts and doctors and lawyers are addicts, you know. And it's just the nature of, of of addiction. It affects us all. You've you've talked about we, we were having a conversation before and and COVID kind of changed the the world of our our program people stopped going to meetings mm -hmm. people went online and we've seen the attendance in meetings go down significantly mm -hmm. um and it, it might be slowly getting back but it it's it's a reality you know people ha are now having this disconnect with the program as far as the role of the community and the role of fellowship can you talk about how it's helped you stay clean and maybe that can help people to try to reconnect with that community? Um, so that talk about what, what aspect of that? So. The role of community and uh, fellowship in your okay. recovery. Um, I, you know, I, first of all, I'm, my hat goes off to anybody who has gotten clean, attempted to get clean during this time of COVID. Yeah. Because, you know, we started out meetings, stop meeting, mm -hmm. you know, and rightly so, you know, so, um, and they didn't really have the fellowship and the camaraderie right. that, that we had because there's nothing like going to a meeting you know, sitting mm -hmm. in a circle with, with, you know, 20 other addicts and hearing their story. And the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after right. the meeting. Very, very, very much so. Um, I, I don't know for me, um, you know, um, it's just, it, it's just, it, it actually has been a, a struggle, you know? I mean, it really has, you know, and especially I work out of town. This is kind of what I say, you mm -hmm. know, I go to the, all these meetings and I feel like a newcomer, right. you know, and I don't know anybody. So it's, it's just so different from going to a meeting at, at home where I go into a meeting. And everyone and I, knows. Yeah. You. And everyone knows me, you know? So, um, so I, I don't know. I think we just kind of stayed a course, and this, and, and you know what? This may be the the new recovery. This the new may, norm. Yeah, this might be the new new norm. You know, and and I'm not going to say that that less people are recovering, but it's different. You know, it's mm -hmm. different, and things and things change. You I know? wonder how, if there has been a change in the efficacy of the program, and has is the program mm -hmm. still as strong? I believe it is. Okay. When program is practiced as it's written in the literature and as it's discussed in the meetings, it is as strong as ever. Yeah, I'm you sure know, over, and every, over and every, your years, mm -hmm. you've seen cycles. You've seen you know certain patterns that give you the the understanding that no thing you know yeah it, it will come back in a sense. Well, I don't I don't ever think it 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 
it left, you know. Okay. I yeah, and and I'll I'll say this, you know, because I I came. Yeah, someone. I was in a meeting last night, and someone shared shared this how how close we were. You know, mm-hmm. you have to realize when you're in an area where there's five meetings a week or or ten meetings a week, everybody's going to the same meetings every night. Right. You know? But our, our our symbol and our program is there's power in numbers, mm-hmm. and the more people come into the fold, the more messages, the more experience we get, the the higher the point of freedom. You know, mm-hmm. it, what are it just the broader the base, the higher the, the, the point of freedom. And that's what they're talking about. The base is the fellowship, you know. So I think the more people that are involved in the in the fellowship through online meetings, you know, telephone meetings, it, it's it's better. I think it's affected our in-person meetings, but I mm-hmm. think as far as the fellowship, uh, let me say that, as far as the program itself, I think the program, we can't mess it up. It is too, it is, it is too, um, you know, and I use God for lack of a better word. It's too God given and too God inspired mm-hmm. to for us humans to mess it up. And it's just it's just too good. You know, that's that's a big deal. That's yeah. very powerful in, in, yeah. in its concept and in yeah. its understanding. Um, yeah. So I I can't thank you enough for for being here today and and sharing what you have. Uh, it means so much to me to have you you share from the heart. Um, again, I, I can't thank you enough. I love you, man. Oh, thank you for asking me. <laughs> so I appreciate it. And to those listening, much love. 